chapter one of childhood this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by expatriate in bangor maine childhood by leal tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five chapter one the tutor karl ivanitch on the twelfth of august eighteen something just three days after my tenth birthday when i had been given such wonderful presents i was awakened at seven o'clock in the morning by karl ivanitch slapping the wall close to my head with a fly-flap made of sugar-paper and a stick he did this so roughly that he hit the image of my patron saint suspended to the oaken back of my bed and the dead fly fell down on my curls i peeped out from under the coverlet steadied the still shaking image with my hand flicked the dead fly on to the floor and gazed at karl ivanitch with sleepy wrathful eyes he in a party-coloured wadded dressing-gown fastened about the waist with a wide belt of the same material a red knitted cap adorned with a tassel and soft slippers of goatskin went on walking round the walls and taking aim at and slapping flies suppose i thought to myself that i am only a small boy yet why should he disturb me why does he not go killing flies around volodya's bed no volodya is older than i and i am the youngest of the family so he torments me that is what he thinks of all day long how to tease me he knows very well that he has woken me up and frightened me but he pretends not to notice it disgusting brute and his dressing-gown and cap and tassel too they are all of them disgusting while i was thus inwardly venting my wrath upon karl ivanitch he had passed to his own bedstead looked at his watch which hung suspended in a little shoe sewn with bugles and deposited the fly-flap on a nail then evidently in the most cheerful mood possible he turned round to us get up children it is quite time and your mother is already in the drawing-room he exclaimed in his strong german accent then he crossed over to me sat down at my feet and took his snuff-box out of his pocket i pretended to be asleep karl ivanitch sneezed wiped his nose flicked his fingers and began amusing himself by teasing me and tickling my toes as he said with a smile well well little lazy one for all my dread of being tickled i determined not to get out of bed or to answer him but hid my head deeper in the pillow kicked out with all my strength and strained every nerve to keep from laughing how kind he is and how fond of us i thought to myself yet to think that i could be hating him so just now i felt angry both with myself and with karl ivanitch i wanted to laugh and to cry at the same time for my nerves were all on edge leave me alone karl i exclaimed at length with tears in my eyes as i raised my head from beneath the bedclothes karl ivanitch was taken aback he left off tickling my feet and asked me kindly what the matter was and i had a disagreeable dream his good german face and the sympathy with which he sought to know the cause of my tears made them flow the faster i felt conscience-stricken and could not understand how only a minute ago i had been hating karl and thinking his dressing-gown and cap and tassel disgusting on the contrary they looked eminently lovable now even the tassel seemed another token of his goodness i replied that i was crying because i had had a bad dream and had seen mamma dead and being buried 
of course it was a mere invention since i did not remember having dreamt anything at all that night but the truth was that karl's sympathy as he tried to comfort and reassure me had gradually made me believe that i had dreamt such a horrible dream and so weep the more though from a different cause to the one he imagined when karl ivanitch had left me i sat up in bed and proceeded to draw my stockings over my little feet the tears had quite dried now yet the mournful thought of the invented dream was still haunting me a little presently uncle this term is often applied by children to old servants in russia nikola came in a neat little man who was always grave methodical and respectful as well as a great friend of karl's he brought with him our clothes and boots at least boots for volodya and for myself the old detestable beribboned shoes in his presence i felt ashamed to cry and moreover the morning sun was shining so gaily through the window and volodya standing at the washstand as he mimicked maria ivanovna my sister's governess was laughing so loud and so long that even the serious nikola a towel over his shoulder the soap in one hand and the basin in the other could not help smiling as he said will you please let me wash you vladimir petrovitch i had cheered up completely are you nearly ready came karl's voice from the schoolroom the tone of that voice sounded stern now and had nothing in it of the kindness which had just touched me so much in fact in the schoolroom karl was altogether a different man from what he was at other times there he was the tutor i washed and dressed myself hurriedly and a brush still in my hand as i smoothed my wet hair answered to his call karl with spectacles on nose and a book in his hand was sitting as usual between the door and one of the windows to the left of the door were two shelves one of them the children's that is to say ours and the other one karl's own upon ours were heaped all sorts of books lesson books and play-books some standing up and some lying down the only two standing decorously against the wall were two large volumes of a histoire des voyages in red binding on that shelf could be seen books thick and thin and books large and small as well as covers without books and books without covers since everything got crammed up together anyhow when playtime arrived and we were told to put the library as karl called these shelves in order the collection of books on his own shelf was if not so numerous as ours at least more varied three of them in particular i remember namely a german pamphlet minus a cover on manuring cabbages in kitchen gardens a history of the seven years war bound in parchment and burnt at one corner and a course of hydrostatics though karl passed so much of his time in reading that he had injured his sight by doing so he never read anything beyond these books and the northern bee another article on karl's shelf i remember well this was a round piece of cardboard fastened by a screw to a wooden stand with a sort of comic picture of a lady and a hairdresser glued to the cardboard karl was very clever at fixing pieces of cardboard together and had devised this contrivance for shielding his weak eyes from any very strong light i can see him before me now the tall figure in its wadded dressing-gown and red cap a few grey hairs visible beneath the latter sitting beside the table the screen with a hairdresser shading his face one hand holding a book and the other one resting on the arm of the chair before him lie his watch with a huntsman painted on the dial a check cotton handkerchief a round black snuff-box and a green spectacle case 
the neatness and orderliness of all these articles show clearly that karl ivanitch has a clear conscience and a quiet mind sometimes when tired of running about the salon downstairs i would steal on tiptoe to the schoolroom and find karl sitting alone in his armchair as with a grave and quiet expression on his face he perused one of his favourite books yet sometimes also there were moments when he was not reading and when the spectacles had slipped down his large aquiline nose and the blue half-closed eyes and faintly smiling lips seemed to be gazing before them with a curious expression all would be quiet in the room not a sound being audible save his regular breathing and the ticking of the watch with the hunter painted on the dial he would not see me and i would stand at the door and think poor poor old man there are many of us and we can play together and be happy but he sits there all alone and has nobody to be fond of him surely he speaks truth when he says that he is an orphan and the story of his life too how terrible it is i remember him telling it to nicola how dreadful to be in his position then i would feel so sorry for him that i would go to him and take his hand and say dear karl ivanitch and he would be visibly delighted whenever i spoke to him like this and would look much brighter on the second wall of the schoolroom hung some maps mostly torn but glued together again by karl's hand on the third wall in the middle of which stood the door hung on one side of the door a couple of rulers one of them ours much bescratched and the other one his quite a new one with on the further side of the door a blackboard on which our more serious faults were marked by circles and our lesser faults by crosses to the left of the blackboard was the corner in which we had to kneel when naughty how well i remember that corner the shutter on the stove the ventilator above it and the noise which it made when turned sometimes i would be made to stay in that corner till my back and knees were aching all over and i would think to myself has karl ivanitch forgotten me he goes on sitting quietly in his armchair and reading his hydrostatics while i then to remind him of my presence i would begin gently turning the ventilator round or scratching some plaster off the wall but if by chance an extra-large piece fell upon the floor the fright of it was worse than any punishment i would glance round at karl but he would still be sitting there quietly book in hand and pretending that he had noticed nothing in the middle of the room stood a table covered with a torn black oilcloth so much cut about with penknives that the edge of the table showed through round the table stood unpainted chairs which through use had attained a high degree of polish the fourth and last wall contained three windows from the first of which the view was as follows immediately beneath it there ran a high road on which every irregularity every pebble every rut was known and dear to me beside the road stretched a row of lime trees through which glimpses could be caught of a wattled fence with a meadow with farm buildings on one side of it and a wood on the other the whole bounded by the keeper's hut at the further end of the meadow the next window to the right overlooked the part of the terrace where the grown-ups of the family used to sit before luncheon sometimes when karl was correcting our exercises i would look out of that window and see mamma's dark hair and the backs of some persons with her and hear the murmur of their talking and laughter then i would feel vexed that i could not be there too and think to myself when am i going to be grown up and to have no more lessons but sit with the people whom i love instead of with these horrid dialogues in my hand 
then my anger would change to sadness and i would fall into such a reverie that i never heard karl when he scolded me for my mistakes at last on the morning of which i am speaking karl ivanitch took off his dressing-gown put on his blue frock-coat with its creased and crumpled shoulders adjusted his tie before the looking-glass and took us down to greet mamma end of chapter one recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter two of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter two mamma mamma was sitting in the drawing-room and making tea in one hand she was holding the teapot while with the other she was drawing water from the urn and letting it drip into the tray yet though she appeared to be noticing what she was doing in reality she noted neither this fact nor our entry however vivid be one's recollection of the past any attempt to recall the features of a beloved being shows them to one's vision as through a mist of tears dim and blurred those tears are the tears of the imagination when i try to recall mamma as she was then i see true her brown eyes expressive always of love and kindness the small mole on her neck below where the small hairs grow her white embroidered collar and the delicate fresh hand which so often caressed me and which i so often kissed but her general appearance escapes me altogether to the left of the sofa stood an english piano at which my dark-haired sister luboshka was sitting and playing with manifest effort for her hands were rosy from a recent washing in cold water clementi's etudes then eleven years old she was dressed in a short cotton frock and white lace frilled trousers and could take her octaves only in arpeggio beside her was sitting maria ivanovna in a cap adorned with pink ribbons and a blue shawl her face was red and cross and it assumed an expression even more severe when karl ivanitch entered the room looking angrily at him without answering his bow she went on beating time with her foot and counting one two three one two three more loudly and commandingly than ever karl ivanitch paid no attention to this rudeness but went as usual with german politeness to kiss mamma's hand she drew herself up shook her head as though by the movement to chase away sad thoughts from her and gave karl her hand kissing him on his wrinkled temple as he bent his head in salutation i thank you dear karl ivanitch she said in german and then still using the same language asked him how we the children had slept karl ivanitch was deaf in one ear and the added noise of the piano now prevented him from hearing anything at all he moved nearer to the sofa and leaning one hand upon the table and lifting his cap above his head said with a smile which in those days always seemed to me the perfection of politeness you will excuse me will you not natalia nikolaevna the reason for this was that to avoid catching cold karl never took off his red cap but invariably asked permission on entering the drawing-room to retain it on his head yes pray replace it karl ivanitch said mamma bending towards him and raising her voice but i asked you whether the children had slept well still he did not hear 
but covering his bald head again with the red cap went on smiling more than ever stop a moment mimi said mamma now smiling also to maria ivanovna it is impossible to hear anything how beautiful mamma's face was when she smiled it made her so infinitely more charming and everything around her seemed to grow brighter if in the more painful moments of my life i could have seen that smile before my eyes i should never have known what grief is in my opinion it is in the smile of a face that the essence of what we call beauty lies if the smile heightens the charm of the face then the face is a beautiful one if the smile does not alter the face then the face is an ordinary one but if the smile spoils the face then the face is an ugly one indeed mamma took my head between her hands bent it gently backwards looked at me gravely and said you have been crying this morning i did not answer she kissed my eyes and said in german why did you cry when talking to us with particular intimacy she always used this language which she knew to perfection i cried about a dream mamma i replied remembering the invented vision and trembling involuntarily at the recollection karl ivanitch confirmed my words but said nothing as to the subject of the dream then after a little conversation on the weather in which mimi also took part mamma laid some lumps of sugar on the tray for one or two of the more privileged servants and crossed over to her embroidery frame which stood near one of the windows go to papa now children she said and ask him to come to me before he goes to the home farm then the music the counting and the wrathful looks from mimi began again and we went off to see papa passing through the room which had been known ever since grandpapa's time as the pantry we entered the study end of chapter two recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter three of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter three papa he was standing near his writing-table and pointing angrily to some envelopes papers and little piles of coin upon it as he addressed some observations to the bailiff yakov mikolaevitch who was standing in his usual place that is to say between the door and the barometer and rapidly closing and unclosing the fingers of the hand which he held behind his back the more angry papa grew the more rapidly did those fingers twirl and when papa ceased speaking they came to rest also yet as soon as ever yakov himself began to talk they flew here there and everywhere with lightning rapidity these movements always appeared to me an index of yakov's secret thoughts though his face was invariably placid and expressive alike of dignity and submissiveness as who should say i am right yet let it be as you wish on seeing us papa said directly wait a moment and looked towards the door as a hint for it to be shut gracious heavens what can be the matter with you to-day yakov he went on with a hitch of one shoulder a habit of his this envelope here with the eight hundred roubles enclosed jacob took out a set of tablets put down eight hundred and remained looking at the figures while he waited for what was to come next is for expenses during my absence do you understand from the mill you ought to receive a thousand roubles is not that so and from the treasury mortgage you ought to receive some eight thousand roubles 
from the hay of which according to your calculations we shall be able to sell seven thousand poods at forty-five kopecks apiece there should come in three thousand consequently the sum total that you ought to have in hand soon is how much twelve thousand roubles is that right precisely answered yakov yet by the extreme rapidity with which his fingers were twitching i could see that he had an objection to make papa went on well of this money you will send ten thousand roubles to the petrovskoye local council as for the money already at the office you will remit it to me and enter it as spent on this present date yakov turned over the tablet marked twelve thousand and put down twenty one thousand seeming by his action to imply that twelve thousand roubles had been turned over in the same fashion as he had turned the tablet and this envelope with the enclosed money concluded papa you will deliver for me to the person to whom it is addressed i was standing close to the table and could see the address it was to karl ivanitch meyer perhaps papa had an idea that i had read something which i ought not for he touched my shoulder with his hand and made me aware by a slight movement that i must withdraw from the table not sure whether the movement was meant for a caress or a command i kissed the large sinewy hand which rested upon my shoulder very well said yakov and what are your orders about the accounts for the money from chabarovska chabarovska was mamma's village only that they are to remain in my office and not to be taken thence without my express instructions for a minute or two yakov was silent then his fingers began to twitch with extraordinary rapidity and changing the expression of deferential vacancy with which he had listened to his orders for one of shrewd intelligence he turned his tablets back and spoke will you allow me to inform you peter alexandrovitch he said with frequent pauses between his words that however much you wish it it is out of the question to repay the local council now you enumerated some items i think as to what ought to come in from the mortgage the mill and the hay he jotted down each of these items on his tablets again as he spoke yet i fear that we must have made a mistake somewhere in the accounts here he paused a while and looked gravely at papa how so well will you be good enough to look for yourself there is the account for the mill the miller has been to me twice to ask for time and i am afraid that he has no money whatever in hand he is here now would you like to speak to him no tell me what he says replied papa showing by a movement of his head that he had no desire to have speech with the miller well it is easy enough to guess what he says he declares that there is no grinding to be got now and that his last remaining money has gone to pay for the dam what good would it do for us to turn him out as to what you were pleased to say about the mortgage you yourself are aware that your money there is locked up and cannot be recovered at a moment's notice i was sending a load of flour to ivan afanovitch to-day and sent him a letter as well to which he replies that he would have been glad to oblige you peter alexandrovitch were it not that the matter is out of his hands now and that all the circumstances show that it would take you at least two months to withdraw the money from the hay i understood you to estimate a return of three thousand roubles here yakov jotted down three thousand on his tablets and then looked for a moment from the figures to papa with a peculiar expression on his face well surely you see for yourself how little that is and even then we should lose if we were to sell the stuff now for you must know that it was clear that he would have had many other arguments to adduce had not papa interrupted him i cannot make any change in my arrangements said papa yet if there should really have to be any delay in the recovery of these sums we could borrow what we wanted from the chabarovska funds 
very well sir the expression of yakov's face and the way in which he twitched his fingers showed that this order had given him great satisfaction he was a serf and a most zealous devoted one but like all good bailiffs exacting and parsimonious to a degree in the interests of his master moreover he had some queer notions of his own he was forever endeavouring to increase his master's property at the expense of his mistresses and to prove that it would be impossible to avoid using the rents from her estates for the benefit of petrovskoye my father's village and the place where we lived this point he had now gained and was delighted in consequence papa then greeted ourselves and said that if we stayed much longer in the country we should become lazy boys that we were growing quite big now and must set about doing lessons in earnest i suppose you know that i am starting for moscow to-night he went on and that i am going to take you with me you will live with grandmamma but mamma and the girls will remain here you know too i am sure that mamma's one consolation will be to hear that you are doing your lessons well and pleasing every one around you the preparations which had been in progress for some days past had made us expect some unusual event but this news left us thunderstruck volodya turned red and with a shaking voice delivered mamma's message to papa so this was what my dream foreboded i thought to myself god send that there come nothing worse i felt terribly sorry to have to leave mamma but at the same rejoiced to think that i should soon be grown up if we are going to-day we shall probably have no lessons to do and that will be splendid however i am sorry for karl ivanitch for he will certainly be dismissed now that was why that envelope had been prepared for him i think i would almost rather stay and do lessons here than leave mamma or hurt poor karl he is miserable enough already as these thoughts crossed my mind i stood looking sadly at the black ribbons on my shoes after a few words to karl ivanitch about the depression of the barometer and an injunction to yakov not to feed the hounds since a farewell meet was to be held after luncheon papa disappointed my hopes by sending us off to lessons though he also consoled us by promising to take us out hunting later on my way upstairs i made a digression to the terrace near the door leading on to it papa's favourite hound milka was lying in the sun and blinking her eyes miloshka i cried as i caressed her and kissed her nose we are going away to-day good-bye perhaps we shall never see each other again i was crying and laughing at the same time End of chapter three recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter four of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter four lessons karl ivanitch was in a bad temper this was clear from his contracted brows and from the way in which he flung his frock-coat into a drawer angrily donned his old dressing-gown again and made deep dints with his nails to mark the place in the book of dialogues to which we were to learn by heart volodya began working diligently but i was too distracted to do anything at all for a long while i stared vacantly at the book but tears at the thought of the impending separation kept rushing to my eyes and preventing me from reading a single word when at length the time came to repeat the dialogues to karl who listened to us with blinking eyes a very bad sign 
i had no sooner reached the place where someone asks wo kommen sie her where do you come from and someone else answers him ich komme vom kaffeehaus i come from the coffee-house then i burst into tears and for sobbing could not pronounce haben sie die zeitung nicht gelesen have you not read the newspaper at all next when we came to our writing lesson the tears kept falling from my eyes and making a mess on the paper as though someone had written on blotting paper with water karl was very angry he ordered me to go down upon my knees declared that it was all obstinacy and puppet comedy playing a favourite expression of his on my part threatened me with the ruler and commanded me to say that i was sorry yet for sobbing and crying i could not get a word out at last conscious perhaps that he was unjust he departed to nicolo's pantry and slammed the door behind him nevertheless their conversation there carried to the schoolroom have you heard that the children are going to moscow nicola said karl yes how could i help hearing it at this point nicola seemed to get up for karl said sit down nicola and then locked the door however i came out of my corner and crept to the door to listen however much you may do for people and however fond of them you may be never expect any gratitude nicola said karl warmly nicola who was shoe-cobbling by the window nodded his head in assent twelve years have i lived in this house went on karl lifting his eyes in his snuff-box towards the ceiling and before god i can say that i have loved them and worked for them even more than if they had been my own children you recollect nicola when volodya had the fever you recollect how for nine days and nights i never closed my eyes as i sat beside his bed yes at that time i was the dear good karl ivanitch i was wanted then but now and he smiled ironically the children are growing up and must go to study in earnest perhaps they never learnt anything with me nicola eh i am sure they did replied nicola laying his awl down and straightening a piece of thread with his hands no i am wanted no longer and am to be turned out what good are promises and gratitude natalia nikolaevna here he laid his hand upon his heart i love and revere but what can she do here her will is powerless in this house he flung a strip of leather on the floor with an angry gesture yet i know who has been playing tricks here and why i am no longer wanted it is because i do not flatter and toady as certain people do i am in the habit of speaking the truth in all places and to all persons he continued proudly god be with these children for my leaving them will benefit them little whereas i well by god's help i may be able to earn a crust of bread somewhere nicola eh nicola raised his head and looked at karl as though to consider whether he would indeed be able to earn a crust of bread but he said nothing karl said a great deal more of the same kind in particular how much better his services had been appreciated at a certain general's where he had formerly lived i regretted to hear that likewise he spoke of saxony his parents his friend the tailor schönheit or beauty and so on i sympathized with his distress and felt dreadfully sorry that he and papa both of whom i loved about equally had had a difference then i returned to my corner crouched down upon my heels and fell to thinking how a reconciliation between them might be effected returning to the study karl ordered me to get up and prepare to write from dictation when i was ready he sat down with a dignified air in his armchair and in a voice which seemed to come from a profound abyss began to dictate 
von allen leidenschaften die grausamste ist have you written that he paused took a pinch of snuff and began again die grausamste ist die undankbarkeit the most cruel of all passions is ingratitude a capital u mind the last word written i looked at him for him to go on punctum stop he concluded with a faintly perceptible smile as he signed to us to hand him our copy-books several times and in several different tones and always with an expression of the greatest satisfaction did he read out that sentence which expressed his predominant thought at the moment then he set us to learn a lesson in history and sat down near the window his face did not look so depressed now but on the contrary expressed eloquently the satisfaction of a man who had avenged himself for an injury dealt him by this time it was a quarter to one o'clock but karl ivanitch never thought of releasing us he merely set us a new lesson to learn my fatigue and hunger were increasing in equal proportions so that i eagerly followed every sign of the approach of luncheon first came the housemaid with a cloth to wipe the plates next the sound of crockery resounded in the dining-room as the table was moved and chairs placed round it after that mimi luboshka and katenka katenka was mimi's daughter and twelve years old came in from the garden but foka the servant who always used to come and announce luncheon was not yet to be seen only when he entered was it lawful to throw one's books aside and run downstairs hark steps resounded on the staircase but they were not foka's foka's i had learnt to study and knew the creaking of his boots well the door opened and a figure unknown to me made its appearance end of chapter four recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter five of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter five the idiot the man who now entered the room was about fifty years old with a pale attenuated face pitted with smallpox long grey hair and a scanty beard of a reddish hue likewise he was so tall that on coming through the doorway he was forced not only to bend his head but to incline his whole body forward he was dressed in a sort of smock that was much torn and held in his hand a stout staff as he entered he smote this staff upon the floor and contracting his brows and opening his mouth to its fullest extent laughed in a dreadful unnatural way he had lost the sight of one eye and its colourless pupil kept rolling about and imparting to his hideous face an even more repellent expression than it otherwise bore hello you are caught he exclaimed as he ran to volodya with little short steps and seizing him round the head looked at it searchingly next he left him went to the table and with a perfectly serious expression on his face began to blow under the oilcloth and to make the sign of the cross over it oh what a pity oh how it hurts they are angry they fly from me he exclaimed in a tearful choking voice as he glared at volodya and wiped away the streaming tears with his sleeve his voice was harsh and rough all his movements hysterical and spasmodic and his words devoid of sense or connection for he used no conjunctions yet the tone of that voice was so heart-rending 
and his yellow deformed face at times so sincere and pitiful in its expression that as one listened to him it was impossible to repress a mingled sensation of pity grief and fear this was the idiot grisha whence he had come or who were his parents or what had induced him to choose the strange life which he led no one ever knew all that i myself knew was that from his fifteenth year upwards he had been known as an imbecile who went barefooted both in winter and summer visited convents gave little images to any one who cared to take them and spoke meaningless words which some people took for prophecies that nobody remembered him as being different that at rare intervals he used to call at grandmamma's house and that by some people he was said to be the outcast son of rich parents and a pure saintly soul while others averred that he was a mere peasant and an idler at last the punctual and wished-for foka arrived and we went downstairs grisha followed us sobbing and continuing to talk nonsense and knocking his staff on each step of the staircase when we entered the drawing-room we found papa and mamma walking up and down there with their hands clasped in each other's and talking in low tones maria ivanovna was sitting bolt upright in an armchair placed at tight angles to the sofa and giving some sort of a lesson to the two girls sitting beside her when karl ivanitch entered the room she looked at him for a moment and then turned her eyes away with an expression which seemed to say you are beneath my notice karl ivanitch it was easy to see from the girls eyes that they had important news to communicate to us as soon as an opportunity occurred for to leave their seats and approach us first was contrary to mimi's rules it was for us to go to her and say bonjour mimi and then make her a low bow after which we should possibly be permitted to enter into conversation with the girls what an intolerable creature that mimi was one could hardly say a word in her presence without being found fault with also whenever we wanted to speak in russian she would say parlez donc francais as though on purpose to annoy us while if there was any particularly nice dish at luncheon which we wished to enjoy in peace she would keep on ejaculating mangez donc avec du pain or comment est-ce que vous tenez votre fourchette what is she to do with us i used to think to myself let her teach the girls we have our karl ivanitch i shared to the full his dislike of certain people ask mamma to let us go hunting too katenka whispered to me as she caught me by the sleeve just when the elders of the family were making a move towards the dining-room very well i will try grisha likewise took a seat in the dining-room but at a little table apart from the rest he never lifted his eyes from his plate but kept on sighing and making horrible grimaces as he muttered to himself what a pity it has flown away the dove is flying to heaven the stone lies on the tomb and so forth ever since the morning mamma had been absent-minded and grisha's presence words and actions seemed to make her more so by the way there is something i forgot to ask you she said as she handed papa a plate of soup what is it that you will have those dreadful dogs of yours tied up they nearly worried poor grisha to death when he entered the courtyard and i am sure they will bite the children some day no sooner did grisha hear himself mentioned that he turned towards our table and showed us his torn clothes then as he went on with his meal he said he would have let them tear me in pieces but god would not allow it what a sin to let the dogs loose a great sin but do not beat him master do not beat him it is for god to forgive it is past now 
what does he say said papa looking at him gravely and sternly i cannot understand him at all i think he is saying replied mamma that one of the huntsmen set the dogs on him but that god would not allow him to be torn in pieces therefore he begs you not to punish the man oh is that it said papa how does he know that i intended to punish the huntsman you know i am not very fond of fellows like this he added in french and this one offends me particularly should it ever happen that oh don't say so interrupted mamma as if frightened by some thought how can you know what he is i think i have plenty of opportunities for doing so since no lack of them come to see you all of them the same sort and probably all with the same story i could see that mamma's opinion differed from his but that she did not mean to quarrel about it please hand me the cakes she said to him are they good to-day or not yes i am angry he went on as he took the cakes and put them where mamma could not reach them very angry at seeing supposedly reasonable and educated people let themselves be deceived and he struck the table with his fork i asked you to hand me the cakes she repeated with outstretched hand and it is a good thing papa continued as he put the hand aside that the police run such vagabonds in all they are good for is to play upon the nerves of certain people who are not already overstrong in that respect and he smiled observing that mamma did not like the conversation at all however he handed her the cakes all that i have to say she replied is that one can hardly believe that a man who though sixty years of age goes barefooted winter and summer and always wears chains of two pounds weight and never accepts the offers made to him to live a quiet comfortable life it is difficult to believe that such a man should act thus out of laziness pausing a moment she added with a sigh as to predictions je suis paie pour y croire i told you i think that grisha prophesied the very day and hour of poor papa's death oh what have you gone and done said papa laughing and putting his hand to his cheek whenever he did this i used to look for something particularly comical from him why did you call my attention to his feet i looked at them and now can eat nothing more luncheon was over now and luboshka and katenka were winking at us fidgeting about in their chairs and showing great restlessness the winking of course signified why don't you ask whether we too may go to the hunt i nudged volodya and volodya nudged me back until at last i took heart of grace and began at first shyly but gradually with more assurance to ask if it would matter much if the girls too were allowed to enjoy the sport thereupon a consultation was held among the elder folks and eventually leave was granted mamma to make things still more delightful saying that she would come too end of chapter five recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six preparations for the chase during dessert yakov had been sent for and orders given him to have ready the carriage the hounds and the saddle horses every detail being minutely specified and every horse called by its own particular name as volodya's usual mount was lame papa ordered a hunter to be saddled for him which term hunter so horrified mamma's ears that she imagined it to be some kind of an animal 
which would at once run away and bring about volodya's death consequently in spite of all papa's and volodya's assurances the latter glibly affirming that it was nothing and that he liked his horse to go fast poor mamma continued to exclaim that her pleasure would be quite spoilt for her when luncheon was over the grown-ups had coffee in the study while we younger ones ran into the garden and went chattering along the undulating paths with their carpet of yellow leaves we talked about volodya's riding a hunter and said what a shame it was that luboshka could not run as fast as katenka and what fun it would be if we could see grisha's chains and so forth but of the impending separation we said not a word our chatter was interrupted by the sound of the carriage driving up with a village urchin perched on each of its springs behind the carriage rode the huntsman with the hounds and they again were followed by the groom ignat on the steed intended for volodya with my old horse trotting alongside after running to the garden fence to get a sight of all these interesting objects and indulging in a chorus of whistling and hallooing we rushed upstairs to dress our one aim being to make ourselves look as like the huntsman as possible the obvious way to do this was to tuck one's breeches inside one's boots we lost no time over it all for we were in a hurry to run to the entrance steps again there to feast our eyes upon the horses and hounds and to have a chat with the huntsman the day was exceedingly warm while though clouds of fantastic shape had been gathering on the horizon since morning and driving before a light breeze across the sun it was clear that for all their menacing blackness they did not really intend to form a thunderstorm and spoil our last day's pleasure moreover towards afternoon some of them broke grew pale and elongated and sank to the horizon again while others of them changed to the likeness of white transparent fish scales in the east over maslovska a single lurid mass was lowering but karl ivanitch who always seemed to know the ways of the heavens said that the weather would still continue to be fair and dry in spite of his advanced years it was in quite a sprightly manner that foka came out to the entrance steps to give the order drive up in fact as he planted his legs firmly apart and took up his station between the lowest step and the spot where the coachman was to halt his mien was that of a man who knew his duties and had no need to be reminded of them by anybody presently the ladies also came out and after a little discussion as to seats and the safety of the girls all of which seemed to me wholly superfluous they settled themselves in the vehicle opened their parasols and started as the carriage was driving away mamma pointed to the hunter and asked nervously is that the horse intended for vladimir petrovitch on the groom answering in the affirmative she raised her hands in horror and turned her head away as for myself i was burning with impatience clambering on to the back of my steed i was just tall enough to see between its ears i proceeded to perform evolutions in the courtyard mind you don't ride over the hounds sir said one of the huntsmen hold your tongue it is not the first time i have been one of the party i retorted with dignity although volodya had plenty of pluck he was not altogether free from apprehensions as he sat on the hunter indeed he more than once asked as he patted it is he quiet he looked very well on horseback almost a grown-up young man and held himself so upright in the saddle that i envied him since my shadow seemed to show that i could not compare with him in looks presently papa's footsteps sounded on the flagstones the whip collected the hounds and the huntsmen mounted their steeds papa's horse came up in charge of a groom 
the hounds of his particular leash sprang up from their picturesque attitudes to fawn upon him and milka in a collar studded with beads came bounding joyfully from behind his heels to greet and sport with the other dogs finally as soon as papa had mounted we rode away end of chapter six recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter seven of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter seven the hunt at the head of the cavalcade rode turka on a hog-backed roan on his head he wore a shaggy cap while with a magnificent horn slung across his shoulders and a knife at his belt he looked so cruel and inexorable that one would have thought he was going to engage in bloody strife with his fellow-men rather than to hunt a small animal around the hind legs of his horse the hounds gambled like a cluster of checkered restless balls if one of them wished to stop it was only with the greatest difficulty that it could do so since not only had its leash fellow also to be induced to halt but at once one of the huntsmen would wheel round crack his whip and shout to the delinquent back to the pack there arrived at a gate papa told us and the huntsman to continue our way along the road and then rode off across a cornfield the harvest was at its height on the further side of a large shining yellow stretch of cornland lay a high purple belt of forest which always figured in my eyes as a distant mysterious region behind which either the world ended or an uninhabited waste began this expanse of cornland was dotted with swaths and reapers while along the lanes where the sickle had passed could be seen the backs of women as they stooped among the tall thick grain or lifted armfuls of corn and rested them against the shocks in one corner a woman was bending over a cradle and the whole stubble was studded with sheaves and cornflowers in another direction shirt-sleeved men were standing on wagons shaking the soil from the stalks of sheaves and stacking them for carrying as soon as the foreman dressed in a blouse and high boots and carrying a tally-stick caught sight of papa he hastened to take off his lamb's wool cap and wiping his red head told the women to get up papa's chestnut horse went trotting along with a prancing gait as it tossed its head and swished its tail to and fro to drive away the gadflies and countless other insects which tormented its flanks while his two greyhounds their tails curved like sickles went springing gracefully over the stubble milka was always first but every now and then she would halt with a shake of her head to await the whipper in the chatter of the peasants the rumbling of horses and wagons the joyous cries of quails the hum of insects as they hung suspended in the motionless air the smell of the soil and grain and steam from our horses the thousand different lights and shadows which the burning sun cast upon the yellowish-white cornland the purple forest in the distance the white gossamer threads which were floating in the air or resting on the soil all these things i observed and heard and felt to the core arrived at the kalinovo wood we found the carriage awaiting us there with beside it a one-horse wagonette driven by the butler a wagonette in which were a tea-urn some apparatus for making ices 
and many other attractive boxes and bundles all packed in straw there was no mistaking these signs for they meant that we were going to have tea fruit and ices in the open air this afforded us intense delight since to drink tea in a wood and on the grass and where none else had ever drunk tea before seemed to us a treat beyond expressing when turka arrived at the little clearing where the carriage was halted he took papa's detailed instructions as to how we were to divide ourselves and where each of us was to go though as a matter of fact he never acted according to such instructions but always followed his own devices then he unleashed the hounds fastened the leashes to his saddle whistled to the pack and disappeared among the young birch trees the liberated hounds jumping about him in high delight wagging their tails and sniffing and gambling with one another as they dispersed themselves in different directions has any one a pocket-handkerchief to spare asked papa i took mine from my pocket and offered it to him very well fasten it to this greyhound here kizana i asked with the air of a connoisseur yes then run him along the road with you when you come to a little clearing in the woods stop and look about you and don't come back to me without a hair accordingly i tied my handkerchief round gizana's soft neck and set off running at full speed towards the appointed spot papa laughing as he shouted after me hurry up hurry up or you'll be late every now and then gizana kept stopping pricking up his ears and listening to the hallooing of the beaters whenever he did this i was not strong enough to move him and could do no more than shout come on come on presently he set off so fast that i could not restrain him and i encountered more than one fall before we reached our destination selecting there a level shady spot near the root of a great oak tree i lay down on the turf made gizana crouch beside me and waited as usual my imagination far outstripped reality i fancied that i was pursuing at least my third hare when as a matter of fact the first hound was only just giving tongue presently however turka's voice began to sound through the wood in louder and more excited tones the baying of a hound came nearer and nearer and then another and then a third and then a fourth deep throat joined in the rising and falling cadences of a chorus until the whole had united their voices in one continuous tumultuous burst of melody as the russian proverb expresses it the forest had found a tongue and the hounds were burning as with fire my excitement was so great that i nearly swooned where i stood my lips parted themselves as though smiling the perspiration poured from me in streams and in spite of the tickling sensation caused by the drops as they trickled over my chin i never thought of wiping them away i felt that a crisis was approaching yet the tension was too unnatural to last soon the hounds came tearing along the edge of the wood and then behold they were racing away from me again and of hares there was not a sign to be seen i looked in every direction and gizana did the same pulling at his leash at first and whining then he lay down again by my side rested his muzzle on my knees and resigned himself to disappointment among the naked roots of the oak tree under which i was sitting i could see countless ants swarming over the parched grey earth and winding among the acorns withered oak leaves dry twigs russet moss and slender scanty blades of grass in serried files they kept pressing forward on the level track they had made for themselves some carrying burdens some not i took a piece of twig and barred their way instantly it was curious to see how they made light of the obstacle 
some got past it by creeping underneath and some by climbing over it a few however there were especially those weighted with loads who were nonplussed what to do they either halted and searched for a way round or returned whence they had come or climbed the adjacent herbage with the evident intention of reaching my hand and going up the sleeve of my jacket from this interesting spectacle my attention was distracted by the yellow wings of a butterfly which was fluttering alluringly before me yet i had scarcely noticed it before it flew away to a little distance and circling over some half-faded blossoms of white clover settled on one of them whether it was the sun's warmth that delighted it or whether it was busy sucking nectar from the flower at all events it seemed thoroughly comfortable it scarcely moved its wings at all and pressed itself down into the clover until i could hardly see its body i sat with my chin on my hands and watched it with intense interest suddenly gizana sprang up and gave me such a violent jerk that i nearly rolled over i looked round at the edge of the wood a hare had just come into view with one ear bent down and the other sharply pricked the blood rushed to my head and i forgot everything else as i shouted slipped the dog and ran towards the spot yet all was in vain the hare stopped made a rush and was lost to view how confused i felt when at that moment turka stepped from the undergrowth he had been following the hounds as they ran along the edges of the wood he had seen my mistake which had consisted in my not biding my time and now threw me a contemptuous look as he said ah master and you should have heard the tone in which he said it it would have been a relief to me if he had then and there suspended me to his saddle instead of the hare for a while i could only stand miserably where i was without attempting to recall the dog and ejaculate as i slapped my knees good heavens what a fool i was i could hear the hounds retreating into the distance and baying along the further side of the wood as they pursued the hare while turka rallied them with blasts on his gorgeous horn yet i did not stir End of chapter seven recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eight of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eight we play games the hunt was over a cloth had been spread in the shade of some young birch trees and the whole party was disposed around it the butler gabriel had stamped down the surrounding grass wiped the plates in readiness and unpacked from a basket a quantity of plums and peaches wrapped in leaves through the green branches of the young birch trees the sun glittered and threw little glancing balls of light upon the pattern of my napkin my legs and the bald moist head of gabriel a soft breeze played in the leaves of the trees above us and breathing softly upon my hair and heated face refreshed me beyond measure when we had finished the fruit and ices nothing remained to be done around the empty cloth so despite the oblique scorching rays of the sun we rose and proceeded to play well what shall it be said luboshka blinking in the sunlight and skipping about the grass suppose we play robinson no that's a tiresome game objected volodya stretching himself lazily on the turf and gnawing some leaves always robinson if you want to play at something play at building a summer-house volodya was giving himself tremendous airs 
probably he was proud of having ridden the hunter and so pretended to be very tired perhaps also he had too much hard-headedness and too little imagination fully to enjoy the game of robinson it was a game which consisted of performing various scenes from the swiss family robinson a book which we had recently been reading well but be a good boy why not try and please us this time the girls answered you may be charles or ernest or the father whichever you like best added katenka as she tried to raise him from the ground by pulling at his sleeve no i'm not going to it's a tiresome game said volodya again though smiling as if secretly pleased it would be better to sit at home than not to play at anything murmured luboshka with tears in her eyes she was a great weeper well go on then only don't cry i can't stand that sort of thing volodya's condescension did not please us much on the contrary his lazy tired expression took away all the fun of the game when we sat on the ground and imagined that we were sitting in a boat and either fishing or rowing with all our might volodya persisted in sitting with folded hands or in anything but a fisherman's posture i made a remark about it but he replied that whether we moved our hands or not we should neither gain nor lose ground certainly not advance at all and i was forced to agree with him again when i pretended to go out hunting and with a stick over my shoulder set off into the wood volodya only lay down on his back with his hands under his head and said that he supposed it was all the same whether he went or not such behaviour and speeches cooled our ardour for the game and were very disagreeable the more so since it was impossible not to confess to oneself that volodya was right i myself knew that it was not only impossible to kill birds with a stick but to shoot at all with such a weapon still it was the game and if we were once to begin reasoning thus it would become equally impossible for us to go for drives on chairs i think that even volodya himself cannot at that moment have forgotten how in the long winter evenings we had been used to cover an armchair with a shawl and make a carriage of it one of us being the coachman another one the footman the two girls the passengers and three other chairs the trio of horses abreast with what ceremony we used to set out and with what adventures we used to meet on the way how gaily and quickly those long winter evenings used to pass if we were always to judge from reality games would be nonsense but if games were nonsense what else would there be left to do end of chapter eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter nine of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter nine a first essay in love pretending to gather some american fruit from a tree luboshka suddenly plucked a leaf upon which was a huge caterpillar and throwing the insect with horror to the ground lifted her hands and sprang away as though afraid it would spit at her the game stopped and we crowded our heads together as we stooped to look at the curiosity i peeped over katenka's shoulder as she was trying to lift the caterpillar by placing another leaf in its way i had observed before that the girls had a way of shrugging their shoulders whenever they were trying to put a loose garment straight on their bare necks as well as that mimi always grew angry on witnessing this manoeuvre and declared it to be a chambermaid's trick 
as katenka bent over the caterpillar she made that very movement while at the same instant the breeze lifted the fichu on her white neck her shoulder was close to my lips i looked at it and kissed it she did not turn round but volodya remarked without raising his head what spooniness i felt the tears rising to my eyes and could not take my gaze from katenka i had long been used to her fair fresh face and had always been fond of her but now i looked at her more closely and felt more fond of her than i had ever done or felt before when we returned to the grown-ups papa informed us to our great joy that at mamma's entreaties our departure was to be postponed until the following morning we rode home beside the carriage volodya and i galloping near it and vying with one another in our exhibition of horsemanship and daring my shadow looked longer now than it had done before and from that i judged that i had grown into a fine rider yet my complacency was soon marred by an unfortunate occurrence desiring to outdo volodya before the audience in the carriage i dropped a little behind then with whip and spur i urged my steed forward and at the same time assumed a natural graceful attitude with the intention of shooting past the carriage on the side on which katenka was seated my only doubt was whether to halloo or not as i did so in the event my infernal horse stopped so abruptly when just level with the carriage horses that i was pitched forward on to its neck and cut a very sorry figure end of chapter nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter ten of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter ten the sort of man my father was papa was a gentleman of the last century with all the chivalrous character self-reliance and gallantry of the youth of that time upon the men of the present day he looked with a contempt arising partly from inborn pride and partly from a secret feeling of vexation that in this age of ours he could no longer enjoy the influence and success which had been his in his youth his two principal failings were gambling and gallantry and he had won or lost in the course of his career several millions of roubles tall and of imposing figure he walked with a curiously quick mincing gait as well as had a habit of hitching one of his shoulders his eyes were small and perpetually twinkling his nose large and aquiline his lips irregular and rather oddly though pleasantly compressed his articulation slightly defective and lisping and his head quite bald such was my father's exterior from the days of my earliest recollection it was an exterior which not only brought him success and made him a man of bonne fortune but one which pleased people of all ranks and stations especially did it please those whom he desired to please at all junctures he knew how to take the lead for though not deriving from the highest circles of society he had always mixed with them and knew how to win their respect he possessed in the highest degree that measure of pride and self-confidence which without giving offence maintains a man in the opinion of the world he had much originality as well as the ability to use it in such a way that it benefited him as much as actual worldly position or fortune could have done 
nothing in the universe could surprise him and though not of eminent attainments in life he seemed born to have acquired them he understood so perfectly how to make both himself and others forget and keep at a distance the seamy side of life with all its petty troubles and vicissitudes that it was impossible not to envy him he was a connoisseur in everything which could give ease and pleasure as well as knew how to make use of such knowledge likewise he prided himself on the brilliant connections which he had formed through my mother's family or through friends of his youth and was secretly jealous of any one of a higher rank than himself any one that is to say of a rank higher than of a retired lieutenant of the guards moreover like all ex-officers he refused to dress himself in the prevailing fashion though he attired himself both originally and artistically his invariable wear being light loose-fitting suits very fine shirts and large collars and cuffs everything seemed to suit his upright figure and quiet assured air he was sensitive to the pitch of sentimentality and when reading a pathetic passage his voice would begin to tremble and the tears to come into his eyes until he had to lay the book aside likewise he was fond of music and could accompany himself on the piano as he sang the love songs of his friend a or gypsy songs or themes from operas but he had no love for serious music and would frankly flout received opinion by declaring that whereas beethoven's sonatas wearied him and sent him to sleep his ideal of beauty was do not wake me youth as semenov sang it or not one as the gypsy taninsha rendered that ditty his nature was essentially one of those which follow public opinion concerning what is good and consider only that good which the public declares to be so it may be noted that the author has said earlier in the chapter that his father possessed much originality god only knows whether he had any moral convictions his life was so full of amusement that probably he never had time to form any and was too successful ever to feel the lack of them as he grew to old age he looked at things always from a fixed point of view and cultivated fixed rules but only so long as that point or those rules coincided with expediency the mode of life which offered some passing degree of interest that in his opinion was the right one and the only one that men ought to affect he had great fluency of argument and this i think increased the adaptability of his morals and enabled him to speak of one and the same act now as good and now with abuse as abominable end of chapter ten recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eleven of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty one to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter eleven in the drawing-room and the study twilight had set in when we reached home mamma sat down to the piano and we to a table there to paint and draw in colours and pencil though i had only one cake of colour and it was blue i determined to draw a picture of the hunt in exceedingly vivid fashion i painted a blue boy on a blue horse and but here i stopped for i was uncertain whether it was possible also to paint a blue hare i ran to the study to consult papa 
and as he was busy reading he never lifted his eyes from his book when i asked can there be blue hairs but at once replied there can my boy there can returning to the table i painted in my blue hair but subsequently thought it better to change it into a blue bush yet the blue bush did not wholly please me so i changed it into a tree and then into a rick until the whole paper having now become one blur of blue i tore it angrily in pieces and went off to meditate in the large armchair mamma was playing field's second concerto field it may be said had been her master as i dozed the music brought up before my imagination a kind of luminosity with transparent dream shapes next she played the sonata pathetique of beethoven and i at once fell heavy depressed and apprehensive mamma often played those two pieces and therefore i well recollect the feelings they awakened in me those feelings were a reminiscence of what somehow i seemed to remember something which had never been opposite to me lay the study door and presently i saw yakov enter it accompanied by several long-bearded men in kaftans then the door shut again now they are going to begin some business or other i thought i believe the affairs transacted in that study to be the most important ones on earth this opinion was confirmed by the fact that people only approached the door of that room on tiptoe and speaking in whispers presently papa's resonant voice sounded within and i also scented cigar smoke always a very attractive thing to me next as i dozed i suddenly heard a creaking of boots that i knew and sure enough saw karl ivanitch go on tiptoe and with a depressed but resolute expression on his face and a written document in his hand to the study door and knocked softly it opened and then shut again behind him i hope nothing is going to happen i mused karl ivanitch is offended and might be capable of anything and again i dozed off nevertheless something did happen an hour later i was disturbed by the same creaking of boots and saw karl come out and disappear up the stairs wiping away a few tears from his cheeks with his pocket-handkerchief as he went and muttering something between his teeth papa came out behind him and turned aside into the drawing-room do you know what i have just decided to do he asked gaily as he laid a hand upon mamma's shoulder what my love to take karl ivanitch with the children there will be room enough for him in the carriage they are used to him and he seems greatly attached to them seven hundred roubles a year cannot make much difference to us and the poor devil is not at all a bad sort of a fellow i could not understand why papa should speak of him so disrespectfully i am delighted said mamma and as much for the children's sake as his own he is a worthy old man i wish you could have seen how moved he was when i told him that he might look upon the five hundred roubles as a present but the most amusing thing of all is this bill which he has just handed me it is worth seeing and with a smile papa gave mamma a paper inscribed in karl's handwriting is it not capital he concluded the contents of the paper were as follows the joke of this bill consists chiefly in its being written in very bad russian with continual mistakes as to plural and singular prepositions and so forth two book for the children seventy kopeck colored paper gold frames and a pop-guns blockheads this word has a double meaning in russian for cutting out several box for presents six roubles fifty-five kopecks several book in a bows presents for the children's eight roubles sixteen kopecks a gold watches promised to me by peter alexandrovitch out of moscow 
in the years eighteen something for a hundred forty roubles consequently karl meyer have to receive a hundred thirty nine rouble seventy nine kopecks beside his wage if people were to judge only by this bill in which karl ivanitch demanded repayment of all the money he had spent on presents as well as the value of a present promised to himself they would take him to have been a callous avaricious egotist yet they would be wrong it appears that he had entered the study with the paper in his hand and a set speech in his head for the purpose of declaiming eloquently to papa on the subject of the wrongs which he believed himself to have suffered in our house but that as soon as ever he began to speak in the vibratory voice and with the expressive intonations which he used in dictating to us his eloquence wrought upon himself more than upon papa with the result that when he came to the point where he had to say however sad it will be for me to part with the children he lost his self-command utterly his articulation became choked and he was obliged to draw his coloured pocket-handkerchief from his pocket yes peter alexandrovitch he said weeping this formed no part of the prepared speech i am grown so used to the children that i cannot think what i should do without them i would rather serve you without salary than not at all and with one hand he wiped his eyes while with the other he presented the bill although i am convinced that at that moment karl ivanitch was speaking with absolute sincerity for i know how good his heart was i confess that never to this day have i been able quite to reconcile his words with the bill well if the idea of leaving us grieves you you may be sure that the idea of dismissing you grieves me equally said papa tapping him on the shoulder then after a pause he added but i have changed my mind and you shall not leave us just before supper grisha entered the room ever since he had entered the house that day he had never ceased to sigh and weep a portent according to those who believed in his prophetic powers that misfortune was impending for the household he had now come to take leave of us for to-morrow so he said he must be moving on i nudged volodya and we moved towards the door what is the matter he said this that if we want to see grisha's chains we must go upstairs at once to the men-servants rooms grisha is to sleep in the second one so we can sit in the storeroom and see everything all right wait here and i'll tell the girls the girls came at once and we ascended the stairs though the question as to which of us should first enter the storeroom gave us some little trouble then we cowered down and waited End of chapter 11 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Chapter 12 of Childhood by Leo Tolstoy Translated by Charles James Hogarth, 1869-1945 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Chapter 12 Grisha we all felt a little uneasy in the thick darkness so we pressed close to one another and said nothing before long grisha arrived with his soft tread carrying in one hand his staff and in the others a tallow candle set in a brass candlestick we scarcely ventured to breathe our lord jesus christ holy mother of god father son and holy ghost he kept repeating with the different intonations and abbreviations which gradually became peculiar to persons who are accustomed to pronounce the words with great frequency still praying he placed his staff in a corner and looked at the bed after which he began to undress unfastening his old black girdle 
he slowly divested himself of his torn nankeen caftan and deposited it carefully on the back of a chair his face had now lost its usual disquietude and idiocy on the contrary it had in it something restful thoughtful and even grand while all his movements were deliberate and intelligent next he lay down quietly in his shirt on the bed made the sign of the cross towards every side of him and adjusted his chains beneath his shirt an operation which as we could see from his face occasioned him considerable pain then he sat up again looked gravely at his ragged shirt and rising and taking the candle lifted the ladder towards the shrine where the images of the saints stood that done he made the sign of the cross again and turned the candle upside down when it went out with a hissing noise through the window which overlooked the wood the moon nearly full was shining in such a way that one side of the tall white figure of the idiot stood out in the pale silvery moonlight while the other side was lost in the dark shadow which covered the floor walls and ceiling in the courtyard the watchman was tapping at intervals upon his brass alarm plate for a while grisha stood silently before the images and with his large hands pressed to his breast and his head bent forward gave occasional sighs then with difficulty he knelt down and began to pray at first he repeated some well-known prayers and only accented a word here and there next he repeated the same prayers but louder and with increased accentuation lastly he repeated them again and with even greater emphasis as well as with an evident effort to pronounce them in the old slavonic church dialect though disconnected his prayers were very touching he prayed for all his benefactors so he called every one who had received him hospitably with among them mamma and ourselves next he prayed for himself and besought god to forgive him his sins at the same time repeating god forgive also my enemies then moaning with the effort he rose from his knees only to fall to the floor again and repeat his phrases afresh at last he regained his feet despite the weight of the chains which rattled loudly whenever they struck the floor volodya pinched me rudely in the leg but i took no notice of that except that i involuntarily touched the place with my hand as i observed with a feeling of childish astonishment pity and respect the words and gestures of grisha instead of the laughter and amusement which i had expected on entering the storeroom i felt my heart beating and overcome grisha continued for some time in this state of religious ecstasy as he improvised prayers and repeated again and yet again lord have mercy upon me each time that he said pardon me lord and teach me to do what thou wouldst have done he pronounced the words with added earnestness and emphasis as though he expected an immediate answer to his petition and then fell to sobbing and moaning once more finally he went down on his knees again folded his arms upon his breast and remained silent i ventured to put my head round the door holding my breath as i did so but grisha still made no movement except for the heavy sighs which heaved his breast in the moonlight i could see a tear glistening on the white patch of his blind eye yes thy will be done he exclaimed suddenly with an expression which i cannot describe as prostrating himself with his forehead on the floor he fell to sobbing like a child much sand has run out since then many recollections of the past have faded from my memory or become blurred in indistinct visions and poor grisha himself has long since reached the end of his pilgrimage 
but the impression which he produced upon me and the feelings which he aroused in my breast will never leave my mind o oh, truly christian grisha your faith was so strong that you could feel the actual presence of god your love so great that the words fell of themselves from your lips you had no reason to prove them for you did so with your earnest praises of his majesty as you fell to the ground speechless and in tears nevertheless the sense of awe with which i had listened to grisha could not last for ever i had now satisfied my curiosity and being cramped with sitting in one position so long desired to join in the tittering and fun which i could hear going on in the dark storeroom behind me someone took my hand and whispered whose hand is this despite the darkness i knew by the touch and the low voice in my ear that it was katenka i took her by the arm but she withdrew it and in doing so pushed a cane chair which was standing near grisha lifted his head and looked quietly about him and muttering a prayer rose and made the sign of the cross towards each of the four corners of the room End of chapter 12 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Chapter 13 of Childhood by Leo Tolstoy Translated by Charles James Hogarth, 1869-1945 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Chapter 13 natalia savishna in days gone by there used to run about the signorial courtyard of the country house at chabarovska a girl called natashka she always wore a cotton dress went barefooted and was rosy plump and gay it was at the request and entreaties of her father the clarionet player savi that my grandfather had taken her upstairs that is to say made her one of his wife's female servants as chambermaid natashka so distinguished herself by her zeal and amiable temper that when mamma arrived as a baby and required a nurse natashka was honoured with the charge of her in this new office the girl earned still further praises and rewards for her activity trustworthiness and devotion to her young mistress soon however the powdered head and buckled shoes of the young and active footman foka who had frequent opportunities of courting her since they were in the same service captivated her unsophisticated but loving heart at last she ventured to go and ask my grandfather if she might marry foka but her master took the request in bad part flew into a passion and punished poor natashka by exiling her to a farm which he owned in a remote quarter of the steppes at length when she had been gone six months and nobody could be found to replace her she was recalled to her former duties returned and with her dress in rags she fell at grandpapa's feet and besought him to restore her his favour and kindness and to forget the folly of which she had been guilty folly which she reassured him should never recur again and she kept her word from that time forth she called herself not natashka but natalia savichna and took to wearing a cap all the love in her heart was now bestowed upon her young charge when mamma had a governess appointed for her education natalia was awarded the keys as housekeeper and henceforth had the linen and provisions under her care these new duties she fulfilled with equal fidelity and zeal she lived only for her master's advantage everything in which she could detect fraud extravagance or waste she endeavoured to remedy to the best of her power 
when mamma married and wished in some way to reward natalia savichna for her twenty years of care and labour she sent for her and voicing in the tenderest terms her attachment and love presented her with a stamped charter of her natalia's freedom it will be remembered that this was in the days of serfdom telling her at the same time that whether she continued to serve in the household or not she should always receive an annual pension of three hundred roubles natalia listened in silence to this then taking the document in her hands and regarding it with a frown she muttered something between her teeth and darted from the room slamming the door behind her not understanding the reason for such strange conduct mamma followed her presently to her room and found her sitting with streaming eyes on her trunk crushing her pocket-handkerchief between her fingers and looking mournfully at the remains of the document which was lying torn to pieces on the floor what is the matter dear natalia savichna said mamma taking her hand nothing ma'am she replied only only i must have displeased you somehow since you wish to dismiss me from the house well i will go she withdrew her hand and with difficulty restraining her tears rose to leave the room but mamma stopped her and they wept a while in one another's arms ever since i can remember anything i can remember natalia savichna and her love and tenderness yet only now have i learnt to appreciate them at their full value in early days it never occurred to me to think what a rare and wonderful being this old domestic was not only did she never talk but she seemed never even to think of herself her whole life was compounded of love and self-sacrifice yet so used was i to her affection and singleness of heart that i could not picture things otherwise i never thought of thanking her or of asking myself is she also happy is she also contented often on some pretext or another i would leave my lessons and run to her room where sitting down i would begin to muse aloud as though she were not there she was forever mending something or tidying the shelves which lined her room or marking linen so that she took no heed of the nonsense which i talked how that i meant to become a general to marry a beautiful woman to buy a chestnut horse to build myself a house of glass to invite karl ivanitch's relatives to come and visit me from saxony and so forth to all of which she would only reply yes my love yes then on my rising and preparing to go she would open a blue trunk which had pasted on the inside of its lid a coloured picture of a hussar which had once adorned a pomade bottle and a sketch made by volodya and take from it a fumigation pastille which she would light and shake for my benefit saying these dear are the pastilles which your grandfather now in heaven brought back from ochakov after fighting against the turks then she would add with a sigh but this is nearly the last one the trunks which filled her room seemed to contain almost everything in the world whenever anything was wanted people said oh go and ask natalia savishna for it and sure enough it was seldom that she did not produce the object required and say see what comes of taking care of everything her trunks contained thousands of things which nobody in the house but herself would have thought of preserving once i lost my temper with her this was how it happened one day after luncheon i poured myself out a glass of kvass and then dropped the decanter and so stained the tablecloth go and call natalia that she may come and see what her darling has done said mamma natalia arrived and shook her head at me when she saw the damage i had done but mamma whispered something in her ear threw a look at myself and then left the room 
i was just skipping away in the sprightliest mood possible when natalia darted out upon me from behind the door with the tablecloth in her hand and catching hold of me rubbed my face hard with the stained part of it repeating don't thou go and spoil tablecloths any more i struggled hard and roared with temper what i said to myself as i fled to the drawing-room in a mist of tears to think that natalia savichna just plain natalia should say thou to me and rub my face with a wet tablecloth as though i were a mere servant boy it is abominable seeing my fury natalia departed while i continued to strut about and plan how to punish the bold woman for her offence yet not more than a few moments had passed when natalia returned and stealing to my side began to comfort me hush then my love do not cry forgive me my rudeness it was wrong of me you will pardon me my darling will you not there there that's a dear and she took from her handkerchief a cornet of pink paper containing two little cakes and a grape and offered it me with a trembling hand i could not look the kind old woman in the face but turning aside took the paper while my tears flowed the faster though from love and shame now not from anger end of chapter thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fourteen of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fourteen the parting on the day after the events described the carriage and the luggage cart drew up to the door at noon nicola dressed for the journey with his breeches tucked into his boots and an old overcoat belted tightly about him with a girdle got into the cart and arranged cloaks and cushions on the seats when he thought that they were piled high enough he sat down on them but finding them still unsatisfactory jumped up and arranged them once more nikola dimitch would you be so good as to take master's dressing-case with you said papa's valet suddenly standing up in the carriage it won't take up much room you should have told me before mikhail ivanitch answered nikola snappishly as he hurled a bundle with all his might to the floor of the cart good gracious why when my head is going round like a whirlpool there you come along with your dressing-case and he lifted his cap to wipe away the drops of perspiration from his sunburnt brow the courtyard was full of bareheaded peasants in caftans or simple shirts women clad in the national dress and wearing striped handkerchiefs and barefooted little ones the latter holding their mother's hands or crowding round the entrance steps all were chattering among themselves as they stared at the carriage one of the postilions an old man dressed in a winter cap and cloak took hold of the pole of the carriage and tried it carefully while the other postilion a young man in a white blouse with pink gussets on the sleeves and a black lamb's wool cap which he kept cocking first on one side and then on the other as he arranged his flaxen hair laid his overcoat upon the box slung the reins over it and cracked his thonged whip as he looked now at his boots and now at the other drivers where they stood greasing the wheels of the cart one driver lifting up each wheel in turn and the other driver applying the grease tired post-horses of various hues stood lashing away flies with their tails near the gate some stamping their great hairy legs blinking their eyes and dozing 
some leaning wearily against their neighbours and others cropping the leaves and stalks of dark green fern which grew near the entrance steps some of the dogs were lying panting in the sun while others were slinking under the vehicles to lick the grease from the wheels the air was filled with a sort of dusty mist and the horizon was lilac grey in colour though no clouds were to be seen a strong wind from the south was raising volumes of dust from the roads and fields shaking the poplars and birch trees in the garden and whirling their yellow leaves away i myself was sitting at a window and waiting impatiently for these various preparations to come to an end as we sat together by the drawing-room table to pass the last few moments en famille it never occurred to me that a sad moment was impending on the contrary the most trivial thoughts were filling my brain which driver was going to drive the carriage and which the cart which of us would sit with papa and which with karl ivanitch why must i be kept forever muffled up in a scarf and padded boots am i so delicate am i likely to be frozen i thought to myself i wish it would all come to an end and we could take our seats and start to whom shall i give the list of the children's linen asked natalia savishna of mamma as she entered the room with a paper in her hand and her eyes red with weeping give it to nikola and then return to say good-bye to them replied mamma the old woman seemed about to say something more but suddenly stopped short covered her face with her handkerchief and left the room something seemed to prick at my heart when i saw that gesture of hers but impatience to be off soon drowned all other feeling and i continued to listen indifferently to papa and mamma as they talked together they were discussing subjects which evidently interested neither of them what must be bought for the house what would princess sophia or madame julie say would the roads be good and so forth foka entered and in the same tone and with the same air as though he were announcing luncheon said the carriages are ready i saw mamma tremble and turn pale at the announcement just as though it were something unexpected next foka was ordered to shut all the doors of the room this amused me highly as though we needed to be concealed from someone when every one else was seated foka took the last remaining chair scarcely however had he done so when the door creaked and every one looked that way natalia savishna entered hastily and without raising her eyes sat down on the same chair as foka i can see them before me now foka's bald head and wrinkled set face and beside him a bent kind figure in a cap from beneath which a few grey hairs were straggling the pair settled themselves together on the chair but neither of them looked comfortable i continued preoccupied and impatient in fact the ten minutes during which we sat there with closed doors seemed to me an hour at last every one rose made the sign of the cross and began to say good-bye papa embraced mamma and kissed her again and again but enough he said presently we are not parting for ever no but it is so so sad replied mamma her voice trembling with emotion when i heard that faltering voice and saw those quivering lips and tear-filled eyes i forgot everything else in the world i felt so ill and miserable that i would gladly have run away rather than bid her farewell i felt too that when she was embracing papa she was embracing us all she clasped volodya to her several times and made the sign of the cross over him after which i approached her thinking that it was my turn nevertheless she took him again and again to her heart and blessed him 
finally i caught hold of her and clinging to her wept wept thinking of nothing in the world but my grief as we passed out to take our seats other servants pressed round us in the hall to say good-bye yet their request to shake hands with us their resounding kisses on our shoulders the fashion in which inferiors salute their superiors in russia and the odour of their greasy heads only excited in me a feeling akin to impatience with these tiresome people the same feeling made me bestow nothing more than a very cross kiss upon natalia's cap when she approached to take leave of me it is strange that i should still retain a perfect recollection of these servants faces and be able to draw them with the most minute accuracy in my mind while mamma's face and attitude escaped me entirely it may be that it is because at that moment i had not the heart to look at her closely i felt that if i did so our mutual grief would burst forth too unrestrainedly i was the first to jump into the carriage and to take one of the hinder seats the high back of the carriage prevented me from actually seeing her yet i knew by instinct that mamma was still there shall i look at her again or not i said to myself well just for the last time and i peeped out towards the entrance steps exactly at that moment mamma moved by the same impulse came to the opposite side of the carriage and called me by name hearing her voice behind me i turned round but so hastily that our heads knocked together she gave a sad smile and kissed me convulsively for the last time when we had driven away a few paces i determined to look at her once more the wind was lifting the blue handkerchief from her head as bent forward and her face buried in her hands she moved slowly up the steps foka was supporting her papa said nothing as he sat beside me i felt breathless with tears felt a sensation in my throat as though i were going to choke just as we came out on to the open road i saw a white handkerchief waving from the terrace i waved mine in return and the action of so doing calmed me a little i still went on crying but the thought that my tears were a proof of my affection helped to soothe and comfort me after a little while i began to recover and to look with interest at objects which we passed and at the hind quarters of the led horse which was trotting on my side i watched how it would swish its tail how it would lift one hoof after the other how the driver's thong would fall upon its back and how all its legs would then seem to jump together in the backband with the rings on it to jump too the whole covered with the horse's foam then i would look at the rolling stretches of ripe corn at the dark ploughed fields where ploughs and peasants and horses with foals were working at their footprints and at the box of the carriage to see who was driving us until though my face was still wet with tears my thoughts had strayed far from her with whom i had just parted parted perhaps for ever yet ever and again something would recall her to my memory i remembered too how the evening before i had found a mushroom under the birch trees how luboshka had quarrelled with katenka as to whose it should be and how they had both of them wept when taking leave of us i felt sorry to be parted from them and from natalia savishna and from the birch tree avenue and from foka yes even the horrid mimi i longed for i longed for everything at home and poor mamma the tears rushed to my eyes again yet even this mood passed away before long end of chapter fourteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fifteen of childhood by leo tolstoy 
translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fifteen childhood happy happy never returning time of childhood how can we help loving and dwelling upon its recollections they cheer and elevate the soul and become to one a source of higher joys sometimes when dreaming of bygone days i fancy that tired out with running about i have sat down as of old in my high armchair by the tea-table it is late and i have long since drunk my cup of milk my eyes are heavy with sleep as i sit there and listen how could i not listen seeing that mamma is speaking to somebody and that the sound of her voice is so melodious and kind how much its echoes recall to my heart with my eyes veiled with drowsiness i gaze at her wistfully suddenly she seems to grow smaller and smaller and her face vanishes to a point yet i can still see it can still see her as she looks at me and smiles somehow it pleases me to see her grown so small i blink and blink yet she looks no larger than a boy reflected in the pupil of an eye then i rouse myself and the picture fades once more i half close my eyes and cast about to try and recall the dream but it has gone i rise to my feet only to fall back comfortably into the armchair there you are falling asleep again little nicolas says mamma you had better go to bye-bye no i won't go to sleep mamma i reply though almost inaudibly for pleasant dreams are filling all my soul the sound sleep of childhood is weighing my eyelids down and for a few moments i sink into slumber and oblivion until awakened by someone i feel in my sleep as though a soft hand were caressing me i know it by the touch and though still dreaming i seize hold of it and press it to my lips every one else has gone to bed and only one candle remains burning in the drawing-room mamma has said that she herself will wake me she sits down on the arm of the chair in which i am asleep with her soft hand stroking my hair and i hear her beloved well-known voice say in my ear get up my darling it is time to go bye-bye no envious gaze sees her now she is not afraid to shed upon me the whole of her tenderness and love i do not wake up yet i kiss and kiss her hand get up then my angel she passes her other arm round my neck and her fingers tickle me as they move across it the room is quiet and in half-darkness but the tickling has touched my nerves and i begin to awake mamma is sitting near me that i can tell and touching me i can hear her voice and feel her presence this at last rouses me to spring up to throw my arms around her neck to hide my head in her bosom and to say with a sigh ah dear darling mamma how much i love you she smiles her sad enchanting smile takes my head between her two hands kisses me on the forehead and lifts me onto her lap do you love me so much then she says then after a few moments silence she continues and you must love me always and never forget me if your mamma should no longer be here will you promise never to forget her never nikolinka and she kisses me more fondly than ever oh but you must not speak so darling mamma my own darling mamma i exclaim as i clasp her knees and tears of joy and love fall from my eyes how after scenes like this i would go upstairs and stand before the icons and say with a rapturous feeling god bless papa and mamma 
and repeat a prayer for my beloved mother which my childish lips had learnt to lisp the love of god and of her blending strangely in a single emotion after saying my prayers i would wrap myself up in the bedclothes my heart would feel light peaceful and happy and one dream would follow another dreams of what they were all of them vague but all of them full of pure love and of a sort of expectation of happiness i remember too that i used to think about karl ivanitch and his sad lot he was the only unhappy being whom i knew and so sorry would i feel for him and so much did i love him that tears would fall from my eyes as i thought may god give him happiness and enable me to help him and to lessen his sorrow i could make any sacrifice for him usually also there would be some favourite toy a china dog or hare stuck into the bed-corner behind the pillow and it would please me to think how warm and comfortable and well cared for it was there also i would pray god to make every one happy so that every one might be contented and also to send fine weather to-morrow for our walk then i would turn myself over on to the other side and thoughts and dreams would become jumbled and entangled together until at last i slept soundly and peacefully though with a face wet with tears do in after life the freshness and light-heartedness the craving for love and for strength of faith ever return which we experience in our childhood's years what better time is there in our lives than when the two best of virtues innocent gaiety and a boundless yearning for affection are our sole objects of pursuit where now are our ardent prayers where now are our best gifts the pure tears of emotion which a guardian angel dries with a smile as he sheds upon us lovely dreams of ineffable childish joy can it be that life has left such heavy traces upon one's heart that those tears and ecstasies are forever vanished can it be that there remains to us only the recollection of them end of chapter fifteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter sixteen of childhood by leo tolstoy translated by charles james hogarth eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter sixteen verse making rather less than a month after our arrival in moscow i was sitting upstairs in my grandmamma's house and doing some writing at a large table opposite to me sat the drawing-master who was giving a few finishing touches to the head of a turban turk executed in black pencil volodya with outstretched neck was standing behind the drawing-master and looking over his shoulder the head was volodya's first production in pencil and to-day grandmamma's name-day the masterpiece was to be presented to her aren't you going to put a little more shadow there said volodya to the master as he raised himself on tiptoe and pointed to the turk's neck no it is not necessary the master replied as he put pencil and drawing-pen into a japanned folding-box it is just right now and you need not do anything more to it as for you nikolinka he added rising and glancing askew at the turk won't you tell us your great secret at last what are you going to give your grandmamma i think another head would be your best gift but good-bye gentlemen and taking his hat and cardboard he departed i too had thought that another head than the one at which i had been working would be a better gift 
so when we were told that grandmamma's name-day was soon to come round and that we must each of us have a present ready for her i had taken it into my head to write some verses in honour of the occasion and had forthwith composed two rhymed couplets hoping that the rest would soon materialise i really do not know how the idea one so peculiar for a child came to occur to me but i know that i liked it vastly and answered all questions on the subject of my gift by declaring that i should soon have something ready for grandmamma but was not going to say what it was contrary to my expectation i found that after the first two couplets executed in the initial heat of enthusiasm even my most strenuous efforts refused to produce another one i began to read different poems in our books but neither dmitriev nor derzhavin could help me on the contrary they only confirmed my sense of incompetence knowing however that karl ivanitch was fond of writing verses i stole softly upstairs to burrow among his papers and found among a number of german verses some in the russian language which seemed to have come from his own pen to l remember near remember far remember me to-day be faithful and forever i still beyond the grave remember that i have well loved thee karl meyer these verses which were written in a fine round hand on thin letter-paper pleased me with the touching sentiment with which they seemed to be inspired i learnt them by heart and decided to take them as a model the thing was much easier now by the time the name-day had arrived i had completed a twelve-couplet congratulatory ode and sat down to the table in our schoolroom to copy them out on vellum two sheets were soon spoiled not because i found it necessary to alter anything the verses seemed to me perfect but because after the third line the tail end of each successive one would go curving upward and making it plain to all the world that the whole thing had been written with a want of adherence to the horizontal a thing which i could not bear to see the third sheet also came out crooked but i determined to make it do in my verses i congratulated grandmamma wished her many happy returns and concluded thus endeavouring you to please and cheer we love you like our mother dear this seemed to me not bad yet it offended my ear somehow love you like our mother dear i repeated to myself what other rhyme could i use instead of dear fear steer well it must go at that at least the verses are better than karl ivanitch's accordingly i added the last verse to the rest then i went into our bedroom and recited the whole poem aloud with much feeling and gesticulation the verses were altogether guiltless of metre but i did not stop to consider that yet the last one displeased me more than ever as i sat on my bed i thought why on earth did i write like our mother dear she is not here and therefore she need never have been mentioned true i love and respect grandmamma but she is not quite the same as why did i write that what did i go and tell a lie for they may be verses only yet i needn't quite have done that at that moment the tailor arrived with some new clothes for us well so be it i said in much vexation as i crammed the verses hastily under my pillow and ran down to adorn myself in the new moscow garments they fitted marvellously both the brown jacket with yellow buttons a garment made skin tight and not to allow room for growth as in the country and the black trousers also close-fitting so that they displayed the figure and lay smoothly over the boots at last i have real trousers on i thought as i looked at my legs with the utmost satisfaction 
i concealed from every one the fact that the new clothes were horribly tight and uncomfortable but on the contrary said that if there were a fault it was that they were not tight enough for a long while i stood before the looking-glass as i combed my elaborately pomaded head but try as i would i could not reduce the topmost hairs on the crown to order as soon as ever i left off combing them they sprang up again and radiated in different directions thus giving my face a ridiculous expression karl ivanitch was dressing in another room and i heard someone bring him his blue frock-coat and underlinen then at the door leading downstairs i heard a maid-servant's voice and went to see what she wanted in her hand she held a well-starched shirt which she said she had been sitting up all night to get ready i took it and asked if grandmamma was up yet oh yes she has had her coffee and the priest has come my word but you look a fine little fellow added the girl with a smile at my new clothes this observation made me blush so i whirled round on one leg snapped my fingers and went skipping away in the hope that by these manoeuvres i should make her sensible that even yet she had not realized quite what a fine fellow i was however when i took the shirt to karl i found that he did not need it having taken another one standing before a small looking-glass he tied his cravat with both hands trying by various motions of his head to see whether it fitted him comfortably or not and then took us down to see grandmamma to this day i cannot help laughing when i remember what a smell of pomade the three of us left behind us on the staircase as we descended karl was carrying a box which he had made himself volodya his drawing and i my verses while each of us also had a form of words ready with which to present his gift just as karl opened the door the priest put on his vestment and began to say prayers during the ceremony grandmamma stood leaning over the back of a chair with her head bent down near her stood papa he turned and smiled at us as we hurriedly thrust our presents behind our backs and tried to remain unobserved by the door the whole effect of a surprise upon which we had been counting was entirely lost when at last every one had made the sign of the cross i became intolerably oppressed with a sudden invincible and deadly attack of shyness so that the courage to offer my present completely failed me i hid myself behind karl ivanitch who solemnly congratulated grandmamma and transferring his box from his right hand to his left presented it to her then he withdrew a few steps to make way for volodya grandmamma seemed highly pleased with the box which was adorned with a gold border and smiled in the most friendly manner in order to express her gratitude yet it was evident that she did not know where to set the box down and this probably accounts for the fact that she handed it to papa at the same time bidding him observe how beautifully it was made its curiosity satisfied papa handed the box to the priest who also seemed particularly delighted with it and looked with astonishment first at the article itself and then at the artist who could make such wonderful things then volodya presented his turk and received a similarly flattering ovation on all sides it was my turn now and grandmamma turned to me with her kindest smile those who have experienced what embarrassment is know that it is a feeling which grows in direct proportion to delay while decision decreases in similar measure in other words the longer the condition lasts the more invincible does it become and the smaller does the power of decision come to be my last remnants of nerve and energy had forsaken me while karl and volodya had been offering their presents and my shyness now reached its culminating point 
i felt the blood rushing from my heart to my head one blush succeeding another across my face and drops of perspiration beginning to stand out on my brow and nose my ears were burning i trembled from head to foot and though i kept changing from one foot to the other i remained rooted where i stood well nikolinka tell us what you have brought said papa is it a box or a drawing there was nothing else to be done with a trembling hand i held out the folded fatal paper but my voice failed me completely and i stood before grandmamma in silence i could not get rid of the dreadful idea that instead of a display of the expected drawing some bad verses of mine were about to be read aloud before every one and that the words our mother dear would clearly prove that i had never loved but had only forgotten her how shall i express my sufferings when grandmamma began to read my poetry aloud when unable to decipher it she stopped half-way and looked at papa with a smile which i took to be one of ridicule when she did not pronounce it as i had meant it to be pronounced and when her weak sight not allowing her to finish it she handed the paper to papa and requested him to read it all over again from the beginning i fancied that she must have done this last because she did not like to read such a lot of stupid crookedly written stuff herself yet wanted to point out to papa my utter lack of feeling i expected him to slap me in the face with the verses and say you bad boy so you have forgotten your mamma take that for it yet nothing of the sort happened on the contrary when the whole had been read grandmamma said charming and kissed me on the forehead then our presents together with two cambric pocket handkerchiefs and a snuff-box engraved with mamma's portrait were laid on the table attached to the great voltairian armchair in which grandmamma always sat the princess barbara ilinisha announced one of the two footmen who used to stand behind grandmamma's carriage but grandmamma was looking thoughtfully at the portrait on the snuff-box and returned no answer shall i show her in madame repeated the footman End of chapter sixteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine